Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning to everybody out there and good morning to Faggy. How are you? Good morning, Adel. Well, thank you. How are you? I'm glad that you're back in the driver's seat with me. It was pretty lonely last week. I, I am literally in the driver's seat. I'm back in my car. <laughs> <laughs> back into your, your, your roving office. <laughs> well, today I think but thank you. It's good to be back. It's good, good to hear. Today we are going to have a great show, thanks to you. Um, we are following up from two weeks ago where we interviewed Dr. Daniel Meisfeld, um, and we spoke about the role of genetics in our overall uh, um, health and how important it is that when we are trying to um, live optimally, that we also look at our genetics and how it plays a role. And today we are very, very excited to be interviewing another member of uh, the Deanalysis team, and this is Helen Gauchi. Helen graduated from Stellenbosch University with a BSc in Dietetics in 2007, and after working in private practice for a few years, she went on to complete a marketing management diploma through the University of Cape Town, But Helen is here today because she has a special interest in functional nutrition and nutrigenomics and is keenly being growing her knowledge in these fields. And today we are going to actually understand a little bit more about what it means um, and what the relationship is between genetics and our food. As you know, um, on this show, we've been speaking a tremendous amount about diet and about food and that food should be your medicine, and uh, medicine should be your food, and that primarily probably one of the greatest uh, causes of ill health today is what we are putting into our mouths. So while we've been trying to educate and explain that concept, we also have to know that underlying all of that, there is a genetic basis, and you might be eating very, very healthy foods. Nevertheless, it might not be compatible to your um, your genetic makeup or it might affect your genetic makeup. And that is what we are going to be discussing today. We'd love you to all join the conversation. As always, you can SMS on 34519 or you can use our telegram number. Um, and that is, oh, I've just forgotten, 061-895-1019, 1019. So prepare your questions, join the conversation, and shortly now after the break, we'll be chatting to Helen Gauchi. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back, and it gives me great pleasure to say good morning to Helen. How are you, Helen? Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me this morning. I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, and we're really, really excited, and thank you for giving of your time. As a, as a kick-off, can you tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in the interest of um, nutrigenomics, and then we can take it from there. 
Sure. So, um, I'm, I'm a dietitian as you, you did a very nice introduction already of me, but thank you. Um, I'm a dietitian by training and, and really the reason I went into the field was to, um, to try and heal and, and improve health as much as possible through nutrition. So that, that was always a great passion of mine. I'm a food lover. So most dietitians are great foodies at heart. And, um, and, you know, really using nutrition to try and improve health outcomes. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, there was a point in, in my career where I got a little bit despondent about, um, what I was seeing in terms of, of really, um, improving health and the success rates of, of the interventions coming through. And, um, and then, you know, I, I, started working at D-Analysis, which is a, a personalized healthcare genetics testing company um, and laboratory. And, and from there, um, the, you know, the interest in this area just grew and grew where one, you can, you start to realize and, and connect with like-minded practitioners in this area of, of personalizing an individual's treatment plans for um, based on their genetics, based on on a number of other aspects of their life as well, but but the the genetic makeup being a key component of how you would um, address an individual compared to um, addressing a population um, as mm. a whole. One of the interesting things, and I know that this is heavily debated in my family all the time, is that I guess just because you know we're all connected to media, you, you you'll scroll through your social media and you will always see. And people who are involved in, in nutrition and in diet, um, you know, whether they're, you know, they're, they're trying to get you healthy also through exercise, etc. But, it, you know, it seems like the world goes through fads. First, do this type of diet and that type of diet, etc., etc. Um, and my argument has always been, you know, one diet is not good for, for everybody or for a, for a population. Like, is yes, it, we were having is, this discussion last night, Adel, about the, about the banting, and I was saying to you how, you know, genetically, um, I mean, if I, I personally have a lot of fat genes and I was going to ask that question as well as is, is every diet okay for every person? So if someone does have a lot of fat genes, would something like a banting diet be okay for them? I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly the, the concern around, around, you know, broad, broad, um, interventions. There, there's a, there's a place for it, but you know, when you're really wanting to see good results and optimum results, that's where um, that's where the personalization does become so important. So, so my, my my question really is is that when one is looking for a suitable diet, and here when we're talking suitable diet, we're of course always, and I think the commonality <laughs> between we all diets is like well, most diets, maybe I shouldn't say all, and be so like broad in it. But obviously, not eating the junk, not eating the sugar, not eating the preservatives, the colorants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it's coming to just having a plentiful of healthy food, even in that, one needs to be a little bit more particular as to what what is putting inside one's body. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. It's it's just those those fine nuances that you can. You know, just fine tune what, what you're having versus what another family member or your friend is having at the dinner table. Um, I almost like to say it as, you know, you're at a buffet table 
or at a, at a restaurant with a buffet table. And, and again, you're not choosing the high sugar processed foods. That's a, that's a complete no-no for everyone, but yeah. it's whether you're going to go for the, the reds and the purples because you have inflammation issues and your friend is going to really stock up on um, the the cruciferous, the, the, the broccoli, the cauliflower, because that's going to support the detoxification more. So it's just choosing little things like that um, on a daily basis that and knowing where you need the, the greatest support in your system um, because of possible genetic weaknesses, um, that that's the personalization of the diet. And obviously um, the best way to know is by doing the genetic testing. Yes, yes. It's probably the only Correct. I, you know, I think this is like the ultimate for everyone. And I keep on saying to Adel, everyone needs to do genetic testing. And it seems like overseas, the minute a baby's born, they're doing the genetic testing on them. Um, but for instance, like I've gone for blood tests to see whether I'm lactose intolerant and it comes up negative. Like I'm not lactose intolerant. But when I did my genetic testing, it came up like ha that I'm lactose intolerant. So, I mean, there are obviously there's, um, there's what your your genes are one part of the story and um how they express is is the other part so what we're looking at is what you're born with it's your genotype um and that genotype or, or specific variants on your genes will change how they um eventually express and how they function but what you're doing at that point in time in your environment also has a great effect on um, your what we call the phenotype on on who you are at this point in time what we can see what we can measure mm. um that that environmental component is so important, and it's the interplay between the genes and the environment that we can see and that that we're interested in, and that that we research and and we report on. But we're testing the genes, so you may see that you are. Um, I mean, the, the the lactose one one would expect that if you in your genotype, if you are lactose intolerant genetically, that that's quite a it's a very strong. Um, association there. But another example might be, you know, gluten intolerance that you go for a blood test for, for gluten intolerance and, you know, gluten found in wheat and a lot of your other grains. And it might come up in your bloods that you are not gluten intolerant, but you have a risk genetically for being gluten intolerant. So, so that risk is there, but it might not have actually, um, played out because of environmental interactions um, as to as to whether you actually are in fact gluten intolerant absolutely fascinating and we're going to continue this discussion um, just after the break if you'd like to ask any questions of Helen or you have any comments 34519 is our SMS number 061-895-1019 our telegram number this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. And I think one of the places, Helen, that, that I'd like to kick off because this is something that, that I have been battling all my life. And yes, I have gone for genetic counseling. I mean, genetic testing, waiting to be counseled. Uh, <laughs> what's come up is this whole idea of inflammation. Can we touch on it? Because you know, when, 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 particularly now during COVID-19 and, uh, you're seeing the, the discussions around 
why we are so at risk, et cetera, et cetera. I think when you boil it all down, it does boil down to a lot of inflammation. Now, how, what is the genetic component to that? So, I mean, it's, it's broad and far reaching, but you know, when you think about inflammation and really where the research is going in the medical literature is that inflammation is, is almost what one can say is the, um, the base or, or over, um, too much inflammation is almost the base and and the cause around so many of our chronic diseases of lifestyle. And when we're looking at genetics, one part of inflammation, I mean, it's, it's a huge area, but one part that we look at in the genetic testing is um, considering these, these pro-inflammatory um, proteins that we make in our body that when, you know, we're exposed to a virus or um, a when we have an, an accident and there's a trauma on our body, these um, the messages sent to these proteins that um, are then told to um, to express more and to come to that site of infection or um, to to create um, products that are going to fight off the infection, and that is that acute inflammation that needs to occur um, to heal ourselves. So inflammation on its own is not actually the enemy, but when we're in a, a lifestyle that is um, exposed to, you know, when we say our modern Western lifestyle, when there's um, high intake of sugars and processed foods, when there's a low intake of our green leafy vegetables, our, our purples, that's the big one for, for inflammation, um, when we're not eating the good fats. Um, and when we're exposed to a high amount of stress, which is actually very pertinent to, to um, you know, our scenario at the moment, mm-hmm. um, that all leads to um, oxidative stress and the um, almost the messages to these inflammatory proteins to say, I need to be made, I need to make more now because I'm under attack. And so it leads to this underlying chronic um, low-grade inflammation occurring, which then um, we see um, actually um, expressing as either risk for diabetes, for heart disease, for um, for hypertension or high blood pressure, for mental health disorders, um, for cancers, and and even you know what we've seen now is um, those and and those individuals. Then when we do get exposed to um, the common flu or a, or a, a bad virus, um, it um, we we just our body doesn't react like it should. Right, right. I mean, I, I was reading one article of a functional medicine and he said there's only one disease, inflammation. It's exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. It does. It leads to everything. Yeah. It's, I it's mean, people major... live with it daily, whether it's a back pain or an arthritis or, a, you know, brain fog, uh, anything. It's just con- that chronic inflammation can cause so many concerns and issues. Exactly. And, and that's, you know, what we want to address. So, so one of the big, um, kind of messages we like to get across with the genetic testing is that we don't want to, although we do report on, you know, disease associations, but, um, what we really like to try and identify is if you have genetic weaknesses, um, in these genes. So at baseline, these proteins that I was talking about that make more inflammation, um, when you have variations in those specific genes, you may be having messages being in your body being 
told for your, your, to your body to say, I need to make more of these proteins all the time. So at baseline, you're already having more inflammation being made um, or have higher inflammation compared to someone who doesn't have those variations. So instead of talking about you have a, a risk for heart disease or um, for diabetes or those end kind of um, problems, we say there's a risk for inflammation, for higher inflammation. And that's, you know, when we're thinking functional medicine, and that's exactly it, Adele, when we, we're saying um, that's what we need to address. It's it's not trying to, we want to avoid all of those other chronic diseases, but if we can really address the inflammation by understanding that you have weaknesses in those genes um, we already um, targeting the exact area. And how much would you say of this is connected to nutritional deficiencies? It's quite, it's quite, it's quite strongly connected. So, you know, obviously, it's it's what we get in from the environment in terms of our toxins, in terms of the the psychosocial stress that we're um, exposed to, um, in terms of you know if we if we have a, a poor diet, and then it's also what we're lacking in our diet. So when we're thinking of omega threes and and oily and good quality fatty fish and the omega threes that we get from there, when we're considering our blueberries and our our, our kind of purple kind of fruit and vegetable family, if you consider the normal average Joe, they're not getting in those those nutrients on a daily basis. And combine that with genetic um, weaknesses, they, that's where the issue comes in. So basically um, if someone were to have an MTHFR gene and do, doesn't take enough leafy greens in them, then definitely they would have the, like a methylfolate deficiency. So that's where, yeah, then, then the, the possibility of a, of that, that risk of a folate deficiency or a high homocysteine level coming in, which is this, um, kind of a, a kind of a harmful protein in the blood is, is the risk of having that being much higher is, is much greater. Can I jump in here? Because homocysteine is something, you know, that, that, that I, I, I've certainly looked at and I know that in times when I've gone to, to um, have blood tests and you have a raised homocysteine, it's kind of like poo-pooed, so to speak, or just like left to the side. Ah, that's just a marker that you might, you know, be a, more a risk for cardiac, uh, you know, for cardiac incidents. And like not much is done about it. And then when you look from the functional medicine side, again, I read somebody else that went and said probably your most important marker is your homocysteine level. That is going to tell you you know, how well or how, how unwell you are. Is that correct? What is your opinion on that? So there are different, obviously, very different viewpoints um, in from from different medical um, kind of areas. But yeah. in the functional medicine realm, when we're very focused on nutrition and prevention of disease, we really we don't want to get to this point where we have to treat disease. We want to try and prevent as much as possible. And when we do have disease, we, we want to try and do it as much um, with food and as naturally as possible where we can. Um, and so it's the viewpoints that, that different, I suppose, um, medical um, fraternities take up. But when we're considering homocysteine, in the research it has been strongly linked to um, – 
almost insufficiencies in what we call our methylation pathway, which is so important in looking at are we converting the folate that we that we're taking from the from the diet, our our vitamin B that we're taking from the diet, is it being converted properly to make um, specific um, proteins that can help us with um, DNA building, with um, with keeping our blood vessels um, intact and healthy, um, and and making sure that our stress hormones are are kept under control as well. So when we see a marker of homocysteine being high, it's an indicator to us that. There is something wrong in the body that it is a, it's a, it's an, a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and heart disease. It's a risk factor for mental health disorders, for depression, for cognitive decline. Um, and so that's already a marker to say to us something in this pathway is not working the way it should. And um, mm. so we need to address your diet and your lifestyle, possible medications that you're taking in that might be adding to the issue, um, and then um, also address um, your genetic variation and understand, is this because of a genetic variation as well? So is there a link, is there a, a gene or a set of genes that are linked directly to high homocysteine levels? There's, there are some genes that are very strongly linked to high homocysteine levels. That's, um, that's what Faggy, one of them she mentioned is, is this gene called MTHFR, which is very important in the conversion of your folate and your B vitamins that you get in the diet, um, to make a, a good quality, what we call our SAM or our SAM-E. And that's the, the methyl donor. So it's this methyl group, almost like this neutralizer um, that our enzymes can use to attach to um, our excitatory hormones, our stress hormones. It attaches to um, harmful um, uh, estrogen products, breakdown, um, the breakdown um, products of estrogen. It attaches to um, your DNA to protect your DNA um, to, to ensure that your DNA is replicating properly. Um, so it's, it, the, these genes, MTHFR, are all involved in this methyl, in the, the process called methylation, um, which is really about B vitamin metabolism and making of this, this product to okay. protect our DNA and, and really to protect our cells and our cell health. Right. Absolutely fascinating. Just the one question that I've been thinking as you, you know, you're talking, when did this study of understanding that genetics has a, a role to play in who we, you know, particularly in health, as, as, as you've been speaking. Is it a fairly new thing? Has it been around for a while? Like who actually landed up working out now that, you know, you, you have a, a, you know, a couple of genes or a gene here or a gene there and that is actually affecting this pathway or that pathway? So, I mean, it, it really, I think the major, um, turn in events with, with all of this happened when, when the Human Genome Project, um, started. And that was, um, it started in the 1990. Um, and, and when they were mapping out the human genome, they started to identify all these genetic variations that we all had. Um, interesting fact, we're actually only 99, we're all 99.9% identical, but that 0.1%, um, 
in within our genetic within our um, genetic makeup makes us so different as well. Mm. Um, and they identified these variations that lead to an increased risk of disease. And then they started to see, well, but when you when you're in this environment, you don't get the disease. But you're, when you're in this environment with that same variation, you do get the disease. So I read the most fascinating thing this morning, actually, sorry to disturb, with Ben Lynch, how he describes that like Italians. Um, their environment is completely different, although they have the same genetic components as people around the world with the MTHFR gene, that because of their environment and the clean foods that they're eating and, and the, you know, healthy environment that they're in, et cetera, and the exercise that they do, they, they don't produce children, for instance, with this MTHFR variation because of their environment, which is basically what you're describing. So, so yeah. So, I mean, they they might still um have the have the genetic variation, but but they won't um have the have the a lot of the issues. So, like the high homocysteine that comes along with it, because the environment is um so suitable. They they know that they they or innately they just doing the right thing for their genes. So it's about bathing your genes in the correct environment. Could I be the devil's advocate and and ask you this question then? If this is so, then what what happened to people like pre nineteen ninety backwards all the way <laughs> back a thousand years where there wasn't they didn't have all those processed foods? <laughs> well, is it is it so that so that's that's really where I'm leading. If if um you know all our ancestors or you know generations back didn't have this knowledge, but because they were eating more wholesome foods, they had a more wholesome environment. Um, would you would you say that? Save of them being attacked from the outside from a virus or, you know, things like today that we don't know about, though I really should be careful now in COVID-19. <laughs> but you know, a lot of the, the diseases, I, I listened to my mother, well, well, my grandmother used to describe what they were attacked were when, when things came from the outside environment in. But generally, you know, they, they lived healthier lifestyles that was less stressful. Um, the food was much closer to the ground. It wasn't processed. Um, is it is this become something that we need to look at just simply because we've become so modernized um, in 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 our environment? It's I mean that's that's actually a, a very very good point and 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 you know that's you if you it, it is something that we um, obviously with with medical advancements we always want to try and. Um, you know, be the better version of ourselves. So, so that's the one part of it. And that's why, um, it, it's so useful to do the genetic testing and to get these, um, further insights. But, but that is the, the big other part, part of the picture is that our environment is just now so, um, almost in contrast with what our bodies need. Right. And, right. and that is exactly such a such a big issue. I mean, thinking about taking ex- the perfect example is looking at MTHFR and homocysteine and folate. And um, MTHFR was very strongly linked to, um, and and low folate intake was very strongly linked to neural tube defects yes. um, and, and the risk of a neural tube defect. And that was, you know, one, because of the genetic variation, but two, because we weren't getting in enough Folate. I mean, there was a study done um, in the early 90s looking at folate intake, and it was way below, 50% lower than what it should be. And that's if you think about when 
when industrialization came in and 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 our our food intake really started to change quite a lot um was was around then and and if you just go back to eating your greens and your and your unprocessed foods you could actually um in many ways get in all your nutrients um back then through the diet mm. Um, and now it's about understanding, well, where do I need to target? Is this my weakness? Must I target this specifically? Um, how can I just get to this better level of, of health? So, so how do you, how do you counsel a person like, is it generally more, more nutritionally based and then, um, with the, with addition of supplements? Because again, also I think one of the other, things in our lives is that we just actually cannot be bothered or we don't have time or things are just too hectic around us to sit and cook these nutritious meals or get this, you know, the nutritional stuff in. It's just actually easier to have a row of like 10 tablets. <laughs> get my vitamin B from this one and my vitamin C from that one. And, you know, and particularly now it has become an interesting conversation, particularly with COVID-19 that I think for the first time, um, we're seeing the marriage between allopathic medication and nutri- uh, functional medication where they say, no, you need to take your vitamins. Like, you know, part yeah. of this, I think, was because we are vitamin D deficient, vitamin C, zinc, selenium. Yes, oh. exactly. So I'd like to kind of add to this question, though, sorry, before you answer, is yeah, like you say, Adol, you know, it's very easy to pop the pills, but it does seem that there is a bit of a complication with just taking the pills that your body needs. and. Like to to just take the methylfolate or immediately and think that your body is going to be okay. Um, like I've read up and seen in, in a few places how you know some people's moods can completely change because they're taking too much methylfolate or too mm. ma- too much uh, you know of the wrong supplements. So we think that all oh, these supplements are natural and things are okay, but is it okay to just supplement as we feel? So two two good and I'll and I'll address both of those parts because it's it's such a good point to make is that I mean nutrition when when it comes to supplementation there's actually a quote I can't remember it exactly but um you can't be superman taking supplements if your lunchbox is full of rubbish mm-hmm. um and and so the, that's when we do counsel um clients with regards to the genetics the nutrigenetic tests we go from a food first approach so we want to get the baseline correct and and again that's you know again it's it's time it's it's um convenience so it's where we can make the difference um and then the other part um you know that's that's the first bit is is getting the food first approach correct and then can I stop secondly, you there? Can I just be rude yeah. and stop you there? No, no. Let's go for a bit of an ad break and let's just pick that up afterwards because I think I think this is a very very part, important part of the conversation. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kasulski and Fagy Stern. If you're just joining us now, we're speaking to Helen Gauchi and we are exploring the relationship between genetics and nutrition. And um, Helen, I'm going to give it back to you again because, you know, you were succinctly answering our questions. Carry on the thread of our discussion. Sure. So, so just saying, obviously, food first approach is, the mo- is really the way to go um, yeah. and getting that base correct. But in our modern world, with, with the rush that we have, it's also then seeing, well, what can we, what are we 
not meeting with with food. And then that's where we bring in the supplements. And by getting your genetics into the picture, you're able to identify where do you specifically have weaknesses so we can target these supplement the supplementation. So you're not sitting with 10 supplements in front of you every morning having to do that because that in itself becomes, you know, a, a motivation and a compliance issue. So um, it's about seeing what we can we can first address with the with the foods, with looking again at the bioactives in the foods. So then taking um, Faggy's question into account here, you know, what can sometimes supplements don't always work. So there are issues with supplements, making sure that they're in the correct form because sometimes we'll see, well, this this food is amazing. You know, when we when we eat um, blueberries, um, they they or when we you know eat a, a good amount of blueberries a day or pomegranates, same kind of food group, um, we get great outcomes when we're looking at expression of the good genes and and decreasing the expression of our inflammatory genes and really moderating our our antioxidant status. Um, and mm-hmm. then we extract those nutrients from the foods, and it doesn't seem to always um, do the have the same effect on our bodies. So, I mean, food is so complex. The amount of bioactives in in just one food, mm-hmm. in one apple, in one blueberry, compared to what we can extract and make into um, a, a supplement, is it just doesn't always equate. Right. So it's also true that genetically some people don't like absorb certain nutrients or create certain nutrients that they do need for like a magnesium, for instance, if they have a comp gene. So, so that is where they might um, genetically be almost at. That's that's exactly what the, the genes are going to be able to tell us is to say you have a risk for being deficient in um, this nutrient because you aren't able to convert it to the active form that we need. So mm-hmm. with the comp, so that's an, a good one where, where comped, um you would require more magnesium. So um, it's just that it, it needs more support and that's where your magnesium, your magnesium mm-hmm. requirements might be higher. So it's looking at personalizing requirements. Um, a good one is exa- for vitamin D in, in this, you know, where, where vitamin D is really being pushed some people just don't their genetic variants in these genes in our in our genes encoding our enzymes that um, mm. make vitamin d into the active form and transport it in our body some individuals just have have these proteins that are functioning at a, at a slightly lower capacity because of variation and so mm. they might need supplementation at a higher level they might need supplementation for a longer period of time um, mm. and baseline their levels of vitamin d might be lower um, and so that's where you'd be able to say, well, what can we do with food? How much sunshine can you get? Where are you? We're in winter. You know, how, how, how much can you get outside at the moment? So how much, you know, vitamin D can you actually get from natural forms? And mm-hmm. then that's the exact, that's the exact part where you might say, okay, well, we can do as much as we can with our environment and our diet. But in this specific case, we're going to have to supplement. So that's the genetic variant where we say, Supplementation is actually going to be the better way forward. Is there supplement? Is there supplementation and supplementation? Meaning, then should we also be careful what supplements we are taking, like and how they're processed? Or if, for example, I am deficient in vitamin D, can I take any vitamin D off the shelf? 
That's a very good question, and that goes for a lot of the products on the market where, you know, it, vitamin D comes in many forms. Just, you know, thinking about um, the when even in our body we have vitamin D being converted into its active form. So you get vitamin D2 and you get vitamin D3. So you get your um, – it's your cholecalciferol, um, mm. which is more the active form. Um, and, and that, so your D3 would probably, um, be a, a better form because it's more active compared to your D2. Um, so, so even in, in that light, there are supplements and supplements. Um, mm. and, and I think that's where discussing with a healthcare provider to get insight as to what form of the vitamin should I be taking in, in terms of um, your vitamin B9, is it folate or folic acid? Is it, yeah, is it vit- your vitamin D2 or your vitamin D3? Is it your beta carotene, which is the preform of vitamin A, or are you going to get vitamin A um, in its active form? And there's definitely benefit- something to leave to professionals. Exactly. So, so that's, and that's, that's, you know, why, why we trained in this field. Um, and there are benefits to many, you know, it's sometimes taking in it, it's in its, um, precursor form because it's sometimes a little bit gentler on the body. Um, it's often more in, in those forms. Sometimes they're more water soluble. So, you know, you have, it, it's almost safer in some ways. Um, but that's where, you know, supplementation, you do need to be careful again about making sure you don't overdose um, as well. Sure. I was watching a YouTube clip a very long time ago about um, this Dr. Bill Welch overseas, and he's done tons of studies. I mean, he's had ADD, ADHD, like thousands of ADHD kids, um, you know, in his practice. He did a study on prison mates. I'm not sure, Adolf, I've ever discussed this with you, but it blew my mind how... He, you know, he, he would go into the families and, and study the families and understand what was going on, etc. And why would five kids in the family be okay, but the one landed up in prison and was a problem from the minute they were born type of thing. And he went on to say how he would do this, like, scientific, you know, he was a scientific nutritionist and he would do all these studies on blood and urine samples, etc. And he would find that the children, like the people that were in prison, the ones that were zinc deficient committed a certain crime and the ones that were another had another deficiency did a different type of crime. So like the way that they, their emotions and their, their minds kind of expressed themselves was based on these, these deficiencies. Wow. Hmm. I was just thinking that that's like leaving such a loophole. You commit a murder and then you get up in court and you say, sorry, I'm not deficient. <laughs> but the most fascinating part is that he reintroduced these nutrients into their bodies once they, you know, he took them out of prison and he fed them the right foods and he gave them the right supplements and they went back into society. Mm. And if they ever did go back into prison, he would say, what happened? And they said, well, we stopped taking our supplements and we stopped eating correctly and we went crazy again. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's quite a wild one, I've got to say. <laughs> no, but, but like if you look him up, I'm telling you, he's he's fascinating and he's like quite a huge doctor overseas and has taken a lot, like he's done thousands and thousands and thousands of studies. So just to kind of make it a little bit more simple and to kind mm. of go down to uh, like a normal level and understand that really there are certain deficiencies that do have an effect on our mood, like we were discussing about mental health. Um, and, you know, I have a friend that did, did this genetic testing because her son was acting out like with a bit of aggression and she did find out that he had an MTHFR 
um, issue and she supplemented with methylfolate and he kind of leveled out again. So that's where, you know, I, I don't know if I can comment on, on the, um, the, the prisoners, but, um, <laughs> there is a, there's a lot of research showing, you know, just, um, where you are deficient in, in specific nutrients, um, you, there's a significantly higher risk of, um, having major depressive disorder, um, that being a very big one. Um, there's also a lot of, um, relationship and strong, um, uh, relationship and associations between, um, your, your metabolic syndrome, your diabetes, high levels of inflammation, and again, major depressive disorder that is sometimes, um, you don't get the treatment effects, um, that you would like to see with your, um, psychiatric medications. Mm-hmm. And when you put together your psychiatric medications, combined with um, a good diet and a targeted nutrition intervention, that's where you see um, the the adequate treatment response coming through. So, yes, definitely. Um, I mean, when we're looking at our folate, it is so important for mood. It, it controls when we have with our B vitamins, they're so important in making our neurotransmitters, our, our dopamine, our serotonin, um, and so if you if you're deficient in those um you your your ability to make these obviously essential um mood um neurotransmitters are not uh, you can't do it as adequately as you would like to and so the risk for um mood disorders is is much higher absolutely fascinating uh, we're going to wrap up as soon as we come back from the ad break this is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. We've been having a fascinating discussion with Helen Gauchi about the interrelationship between our genetic makeup and our environment, and particularly when it comes to nutrition. Um, Helen, if people's interests are peaked, where, how, how would you go if somebody's sitting there saying, well, I've got this and I've got this and I really want to you know, start turning it around? What protocol would you, you suggest? In in terms of um, the just getting a genetic test or? In, in terms of everything, for example, I had somebody the other day that came and went and said, you know, like, I do want to turn my life around. Where should I start? What should I do? Like, how, how, how do I go about it? I mean, I, I went and said to her, listen, food is medicine. Just actually just clean up your diet without even getting the intervention of, of a professional. <laughs> Stop eating all the rubbish. But if you want to get past that and you want to get down into it more, like what are the steps that, that a person should take? It's a, it's a good question. And I think that's, that is where I would recommend, um, seeing a, um, a practitioner who has a keen interest in, um, functional medicine, holistic medicine with, um, a food first approach. Um, mm-hmm. so, they first start getting rid of, I mean, people know generally stop eating the sugars, stop eating the, the general rubbish. But sometimes there are a lot of misconceptions, as we were saying, from the media, the latest fad. And to get past all of that, that's where um, seeing a healthcare professional um, who is who has um, knowledge in this area get started mm. with um, getting a full assessment done. So you get your story and your background um, story told to this professional so they can identify before even the genetics where are things going wrong what were you exposed to that um, might have um, affected you in a negative way um, 
and mentally or, or even, you know, um, physically as well. And so that's where you can start. They can assess your diet and really start intervening there. You can get bloods and other, um, very important tests and your urine tests, things like that. Um, and then, and then looking at the genetics, um, you, that's a very nice part of the puzzle to, to get, um, into the picture as well. Um, and then from there, it's a step by step approach. You don't expect to have everything change overnight. Um, mm. you know, just take, be kind on yourself. If you do one different thing in a day, it's, it's a great achievement. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. If so people that, want to get hold of you, how can they? So uh, we go to dianalysis.co.za. That's our website. So it's dot Or you can email us at admin at dianalysis.co.za. That would probably be the easiest um, route to get hold of us. Well, I, um, I, I think we could go on for hours and hours. <laughs> I know I always have to rain Faggy back. <laughs> I think we um, should stay on. <laughs> I, I think, but I don't think we can. Um, so we have to leave it at that now. Helen, really, thank you very much for your time, for your expertise. And, and, and your thank, knowledge, wow. Thank you. Yes, your knowledge is phenomenal. And uh, to, every, to, to, to all our listeners, you know, this is, this is the way to go, and I believe this is the way of really modern medicine, is to look at each person as an individual, as each of us have got our own footprint, our own genetic footprint, and, and to become personalized in how to, and become responsible for yourself in how to look after yourself much, much better. Thank you for joining this conversation, and as always, anybody who'd like to join our WhatsApp group, you can send an email to info at highfm.com. Give us your name and your cell phone number. Of course, you have to have uh, the WhatsApp app. And uh, every single day, Faggy and I drop just a little thought um, and an encouragement on how to live healthier. To everybody, um, Faggy, Helen, thank you for joining me. And to all the listeners, have a marvelous day further. <laughs>